Hello everyone, today I'm excited to get into the next book of the Summer Book Club series. The book I will be reviewing over the next four episodes is called Unprotected, a Memoir by Billy Porter. Uh, and this um, reading this book is in perfect time for Pride Month as these episodes start to roll out. Um, if you didn't catch the uh, last book that I reviewed, it was Finding Me by Viola Davis. Um, the reason I say that is because I broke that review down into four episodes as well. And what I did was I did one episode on environments um, that, you know, in the life story. And then I um, did an episode on racism. And then I did an episode on mental health, therapy, and trauma. And then the last episode was on the topic of hope, like how things turned out in the end. This time around, um, after having gone through that first book and kind of breaking it down along those categories, um, I decided to do something a little bit different. I'm going to keep with those same categories, but what I'm going to do instead of making separate episodes is to kind of go through all four of those categories per episode. Um, and I say that because um, I know with Viola's book, um, there was a lot of kind of like trauma and um, a lot of heavy topics in there. And then you kind of had to wait all the way until the last episode to hear kind of the hopeful stuff. So um, to make it a little bit more dynamic, but also um, easier on the listener, I'm going to kind of cycle through those different topics in each episode. And so I split uh, Billy Porter's book into four sections. And so this first section, I am just going to share some quotes about environments and um, I'll provide some commentary as I go along. So quote, this is not a coming out story. This is not a down low story either. I never could have passed for straight, even if I wanted to. And so I never had the dubious luxury of living a lie. By the time I was five, it was all too clear that something was wrong with me. Everyone knew it, and I knew it too. It was why grown-ups shook their heads and spoke in lower tones whenever I was in the room. It was why I had to talk to a nice white man once a week in his office in the big building up the street. The man and I played games, and he asked me a lot of questions. Sometimes I knew the answers, and sometimes I was confused but I wasn't confused about why I was there. The nice white man was a doctor. He was working to help fix me. I didn't know the name of my mysterious affliction, but I did know that it had already manifested itself in many unacceptable ways, end quote. So this last quote came from the prologue of the book or the introduction, and it sets the, the tone for the fact that uh, Billy Porter, throughout most of his upbringing, had to deal with the basically living in a world where he had to uh, qualify his existence to make other people feel comfortable. Um, and I think that's a very relevant uh, experience for a lot of folks in not just in the LGBTQ plus community, but just humanity in general. Um, I think that's very relatable. So the next quote here, I spent those formative years in a home full of women, mommy, grandma, aunt dot, Karen, and Sharon. 
My mother and I shared the attic, which proved a modicum of privacy and the chance to bond as single mother and child, away from the toxic religiosity permeating the rest of that household and condemning our every human impulse and desire. This religiosity would form the bedrock of the internalized shame and self-hatred I would spend my life up to this minute trying to purge. The best way to hover above it is to focus on my art, to overwork myself, overbook myself all day, every day, so as not to find myself with the emotional chasm that only seems to widen as I age. But you see, bedrock is almost impossible to displace, and if you dig down deep enough, you will always find it, lying beneath our every step, end quote. So that quote there kind of gives a snapshot into the experience with, uh, I t- in therapy, I phrase it as church hurt, uh, meaning you are involved in a, a church community. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't have to be specific to the Christian church, but um, in which the um, the religious or the customs or the legalism of a faith practice um, condemns a certain people and and goes into that internalized shame and basically it is intolerance and hatred, um, and that was definitely the case for for Billy Porter. So. As this uh, series goes on, you'll kind of see how um, that develops and how, um, in the end, he resolves to the best of his ability. Like he said, it's an ongoing um, experience to kind of deal with the, the, the foundations that made him, but uh, he's working through it every day. So the next quote is going to, the next few snippets of quotes that I pieced together are going to kind of give a glimpse into the the environment of bullying. So like I said, this first section here is on environments, and then we're going to go into the other topics, and I'll try to keep it uh, concise in this episode. So here we go. We walked hand in hand down to Wiley Avenue to the school, a castle-like structure at the top of a sloping lawn. The kingdom was surrounded by a seafoam green steel fence with spikes at the top and bottom. A lone baby doll dangled from the lower edge of this fence, its head impaled between the spokes and the ground. So as I continue here um, to give context, uh, this particular bullying instance that he's going to share about happens um, in gym class uh, as they are doing the... uh, I think it was like the presidential fitness test or something like that, where you have to do pull-ups and different things. Um, and so this is where, this was kind of the catalyst for the rest of this bullying event. Quote, I was the last one called to complete the challenge. Gamely, I grasped the bar as everyone else had and stepped off the box. And there I dangled, like the kitten in a poster I'd seen in the hallway. I pulled with all my might and kicked at the air in an effort to lift myself up, but within a few seconds, the dreadful realization set in. I wasn't strong enough to do it. Acid flooded my stomach and flowed down my arms. This terrible disgrace couldn't be happening to me. It just couldn't. Surely, I would be able to do at least one pull-up like all the other boys. I gave it everything I had, eyes wild, face twisted into a grimace, but to no avail. The kids exploded into savage laughter as I dropped to the mat in defeat. 
Ah ha ha, you little sissy punk, sneered the tall boy. Sissy. I'd never heard that word before. It seemed to suck all the air from my lungs. Sweat broke out along my forehead and beneath my arms as I tried not to hyperventilate. Boy, you shaken as bad as your mama. It was true. My whole body was trembling. I felt sick and I wanted to go home. Side note, um, when he, when the bully says shaken as bad as your mama, um, it's because Billy Porter's mom had uh, some physical disabilities. And so they were not only making fun of him, but they were also teasing him about his mother's disability. Word of my pull-up shame spread through the school like a plague. As the day wore on, it seemed no one would talk to me. In the cafeteria, I spread my lunch out on the table. I had all to myself and ate alone. I had hoped the school would be different, but here too, I was already an outcast. I suffered through the rest of the afternoon, holding on to what was left of my dignity, relieved when the bell rang to signify the end of the school day. But this relief was short-lived. Outside the building, many of the boys from gym class had gathered, blocking my path. Were they waiting for me? Waiting to mess with me? I told my mother not to pick me up, so I would have to walk past them by myself. I summoned all the courage I had and made myself move in their direction, keeping my gaze on the ground as I drew near. And then suddenly, with no warning, the tall boy shoved me hard. I slammed to the ground and tumbled down the hill. I tried to stop myself, but couldn't. The the world a blur of grass and sky and dirt, and even within the confusion of my panic and pain, I was aware of the laughter floating down around me. All the other ki- kids seemed, it seemed, were ridiculing me, hooting and hawing and snickering, and BAM! The left side of my face banged into the bottom of the steel-spoked fence. After several days' seconds, I tried to gather myself and rise, but I couldn't. I was stuck in place, impaled like an insect on a pin, with one of those spokes piercing my head. The dangling baby doll and I locked eyes. Then the world went dark. I woke up in a hospital room with my mother by my side. Mommy, I whispered, shh, baby, you're okay now. You fell down the hill. I didn't fall. What happened? A boy shoved me real hard. The pain on my mother's face hurt more than my throbbing head. Her voice cracked as she asked, Why, son? I shrugged my shoulders. The left side of my head felt tight and sore, as if someone had taken a stapler to it. Then I tried to sit up. The pain made me suck in my breath. Lay back, baby. You're okay. My head hurts. You got stitches. I reached up to touch the sutures. Don't touch it. Doctor says try not to touch it. I started to cry. I'm sorry, Mommy. You ain't got nothing to be sorry about, son. But I knew that I did. Whatever was wrong with me would be apparent wherever I went, and no fresh start would ever make a difference for me. End quote. So there you see uh, an example of he's just minding his own business, and um, because he doesn't, you know, fit into the stereotypical um, expectations of his male peers. Um, he's bullied for it, and it ends in a very serious injury. Um, so this next part, uh, I'm going to give a little bit more context as to the um, 
the kind of like messages of, you know, toxic masculinity and the uh, psychiatrist trying to, quote, fix uh, Billy, right? Um, So here we go, quote, after several months of careful observation, the nice white doctor delivered a verdict. Billy's a fine boy, he told my mother. You just need to get a man around the house to teach him to be more masculine. He said this as if a man were something my mother could acquire at will, like an item from a catalog, rather than a very long shot for a devoutly religious single mother with no income and a degenerative health condition. And yet, within a year of receiving this prescription for my healthy development, my mother was standing at the altar with Mr. Bernie Ford, and I was walking down the aisle carrying two gold bands on a satin pillow. End quote. So those those are the the few quotes that I have for uh, the environment. So um, hopefully that gives a little snapshot of this first quarter of the book of kind of the environments that that Billy uh, is being uh, brought up in. So next I'm going to go into the uh, topic of racism, homophobia, and ableism um, as they start to show. Th- you know, those things start to show up early on in his life. So I mentioned earlier that his mom has a degenerative uh, health condition. So um, I'm going to go into how the kids kind of reacted on that same very first day of school where he was injured. Uh, This is some of the, um, the prejudice towards his mom because of how she looks and walks. So, quote, mommy was sad. She was always sad. And I And all I wanted was to protect her from the mean people who made fun of how she walked. She couldn't help walking the way she did. It wasn't her fault. She was born that way. And mommy always said that God didn't make mistakes. So she was born just as she was supposed to be. Why didn't other people know that? Why wouldn't they leave her alone? I could feel my mother's tension. Mommy got nervous around crowds and her shaking intensified. I gripped her hand to steady her and she gripped mine back for dear life. People gawked as we walked by, children and parents alike, whispering and pointing as if we were some sort of sideshow act. That lady walks funny. Ew, she looked retarded. The crowd parted like the Red Sea. My mother ignored the ruckus. She'd gotten real good at blocking out the noise. Like I said, so the mom is being made fun of for something that's completely out of her control. And so now I'm going to give a little bit more context into the bullying um, that occurred. So, quote, My surroundings had changed for the better, but my social status had not. The bullying at Lemington Elementary was prevalent and relentless as it had always been. By that time, it seemed to make no difference where we went or which school I attended. It was like I was marked in some way, that I didn't understand, some way that invited abuse. Turn the other cheek, my mother always told me in response to the bullying. It started in first period every day. A boy named, let's call him Deshaun, would catch my eye. He'd ball up his fist and mime the act of punching himself in both eyes to show what treatment lay in store for me. After school, after school, he'd mouth. From experience, I knew this was not an empty threat. Fear and dread would settle into my midsection, a familiar acid burn. That quote kind of shows the uh, experience of being othered and being made to feel like an outcast. Um, The next one, uh, I kind of had a hard time uh, 
fitting this into one of the categories that I shared, but I'm going to share this context because as I go on with uh, the series, uh, it's important to know kind of some of the origin story of Billy Porter. So um, trigger warning, this um, next part is going to discuss the um, topic of grooming and molestation. So if that is a trigger to listeners, I encourage you to fast forward ahead because um, we always need to take care of ourselves first. So I'm, I'm just giving that warning, uh, but let's, let's jump in. Let me give some context here. The, um, so the mother, as you heard before, gets married. Um, and so uh, Billy now has a stepfather. So this is a conversation that the stepfather is having with Billy, and this is kind of where the grooming uh, begins. So, quote, The birds and the bees is a figure of speech. I'm talking about some of the things grown-ups do together to feel good. I brought some pictures to show you about the kind of thing uh, things that grown men enjoy. He produced an issue of Hustler magazine. My eyes widened at the sight of a near naked white lady on the cover. She was wearing see-through panties and stockings that only came up to her upper legs. I knew it was the kind of thing my mother would consider sinful. Ladies were supposed to dress decently and not show too much skin, let alone any of their private parts. This is a man's magazine, Bernie said, as if he could read my mind. It's the kind of thing we keep private, that woman folk have no need to know about. In fact, it's like a special secret just between us men. Can you keep a secret? I assured him that I could. We perused the pages of the magazine together, and he asked which of the pictures I liked best. So I'm not going to share all of the details of this because it it's definitely um, goes beyond just this grooming, uh, but obviously it led to um, uh, ongoing, uh, molestation, um, for Billy, uh, in his formative years. And so, um, to sum it up though, I'll, I'll end with the snippet where he says, quote, that man would be in my room at least, or at the very least two times a week for five years. So end quote, this experience was very, to this day, um, is something that Billy Porter is working through um, because it was at such a formative age, it really uh, permeated a lot of his experiences and trust and relationships and things like that. Um, and I think a lot of people can um, identify with that. Uh, so next I'm going to move on to the topic of kind of like mental health, therapy, and trauma. So uh, it's kind of all under that umbrella. And then after I finish these quotes, I'm going to get into the hope part. So hopefully this format that I'm trying today, it may seem a little unpolished, but I'm I'm working with this new format. So hang in there with me. So the um, as far as like mental health, uh, therapy, that kind of stuff, this first quote is going to kind of go into that church hurt that I talked about a little bit more. This uh, first quote here is kind of a snippet. Of, of Billy Porter. So throughout the book, he kind of has these asides where he's like talking to himself. Um, so I want to, I want to read this one to kind of give some of that context. So quote, breathe, boo, keep breathing. Life is good. You've made it this far, bitch. What you going to do now? Just give up. You ain't no crazier than anybody else on this planet. You ain't nothing new. Get over yourself and get on with it. Put your fucking 50-year-old big boy pants on and pull it together. 
There is no reason that God would have brought you this far if there wasn't a plan. Oh, here we go with the God thing again. I don't even know if I believe in heaven. Hell. Eternity. I mean, think about it. The eternity of anything sounds horrible. Grandma said, you gotta believe in something or you'll fall for anything. I believe that. I believe in love. I believe in grace. I believe in dreams. I'm living proof that all these things exist. But this God thing? Yet again, I feel abandoned by the concept. Always have. I feel used. God is used as a weapon to control. I don't like what humans have done to the idea of God. Maybe there is no God. Maybe it's just us humans down here fucking everything up. And when the universe is tired of the evolution experiment, the world will simply implode. I can't do it like this anymore. I can't live with the patina of control. I've been able to cope, compartmentalize, work it out individually, sort of. But here I am, a mess, and I don't like mess. I'm a fixer. I fix shit. But this, I can't fix it. It's been almost 40 years of me trying to fix it. So then he goes on to say, While things were undeniably getting better for me at school, they were worsening at church. By middle school, I had earned a reputation as a heretic. This particular trouble began in Sunday school when I was 10. The teacher had told us that we were all made in the image of God, who loved us and knew that we were going, what we were going to do before we did it. This was confusing to me, so I asked the teacher, if God loves us and he made us in his own image and he knows what we're going to do before we do it, then why would he create someone he knows isn't going to choose him, only to send him to a burning hell for all eternity? There was a long and frightening silence, and the teacher said, in a tone of pure rebuke, you do not question God, and God is sovereign. That was her answer to me. What does sovereign mean, I stammered. It means God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Now, even at the age of 10, I understood this wasn't an answer. I would have preferred for an adult, any adult, to simply admit that they didn't know. But the question I asked dug way too deep for the blind followers to allow. My question had marked me as a heathen and a sinner in my church community. Questioning God's ways was absolutely taboo. It would not be tolerated on any level. And yet, this is this was not my most essential transgression. No, the troublesome inquiries paled beside the cardinal sin of homosexuality. It seemed that every time I showed up at church, the sermon would turn to the abomination of homosexual activity of lying with men. There was no apparent reason for this topic to surface so relentlessly. I couldn't help feeling that somehow they knew about me, end quote. So this obviously comments on how uh, his experiences of feeling as an outsider within his, his church community and um, how there was a, a there weren't really answers about experiencing faith as much as it is like following rules and doing things um, the way that they wanted you to. Um, so this next uh, quote is going to talk a little bit about the trauma work that Billy Porter had to do later on in life to kind of... Um, work through some of this church hurt that I've been talking about. So, quote, I can't stop crying. I guess this is the reason I've never allowed myself to go there, to the heart of the pain, the vortex. 
I have this terrifying feeling that if I let myself really go there, I won't come back from it. My heart hurts. My stomach is in knots. It's always in knots. That ain't nothing new, but the memories keep flooding in faster than I can process. My tummy was riddled with ulcers in the seventh grade. Nodes on my vocal cords by eighth grade. Couldn't talk for three months. Couldn't sing for six months. My therapist has named the shift grief. I never mobilized, metabolized my grief, and my whole life has been filled with, you gotta metabolize your grief, girl. It's killing you. Literally. I saw myself as an adult. I split off from myself at seven years old and began to experience myself as a grown-ass man. I had no other choice. End quote. Here's the last quote for that section. Quote, I was a good kid, passing all my classes and making my own money. And the summer was unfolding without a hitch until she got the phone call from a member of our church, a distant cousin. As it happened, the local news station had come to park, come to the park to do a story on Ken, Kennywood, and part of the segment included B-roll clips of one of our shows. Now, the movie The Blues Brothers had just been released, and we were performing a number inspired by the film. I was flanked by two girls in trench coats and fedoras, and I was serving a huge green Afro wig, squalling out Aretha Franklin's think for the children. I was having the time of my life, but apparently the sense of fun was not shared by our church, which dispatched an ambassador to berate my mother, telling her that my performance was a shame before God. A shame before God? I was 15 years old and working nearly 70 hours a week, making money and alleviating financial pressure for my family, and I was ashamed before God? My mother wasn't having it. Really? That's what you have to say to me? Well, allow me to remind you of what your son was doing when he was in high school, having babies. My child is 15 years old and going to work every day. He has money in his pocket now spending money for himself. So unless you'll be taking on the responsibility of paying for all the things he needs, take that mess somewhere else. It's so interesting to me that my mother clapped back on that occasion. She wasn't always like that, but this time she took up for me. She understood that I was in a good place, the right place. Even now, I can only wonder what was shameful, the singing, the dancing, the wig. I don't know what it was. Actually, I know exactly what it was. Everybody always sensed the queer, the fag, the something wrong that needed to be fixed, and the haters were losing their control over me. End quote. And so this last uh, little bit of this episode, I'm going to talk about um, some hopeful things that came up during um, this section of the, the book. So let's jump in. Quote, I speak of angels in my life very often, angels who dipped down and pointing me, pointed me in the right direction. Mr. Lutz was one of them, and another was Mr. Highland, the gym teacher. He saw my panic and my distress, and when I asked him if it was possible for me to opt out of gym and use that time to practice my, practice my saxophone, he said yes. The only requirement was that I show up to health class once a week. This was a godsend. It lifted a lot of anxiety and allowed me to be in a creative space more often. I was dedicated to my saxophone. I would go into the instrumental room and sit in the back corner and practice and practice. Music is healing. It had always been healing. And it was a space where I felt safe. 
And then he goes on to say, in a later part of the book, he said, when I walked outside, my grandmother and great aunt Dorothy were there waiting for me. It was September 21st, my 11th birthday, and they had come to pick me up and take me on a special birthday trip. Grandma and Aunt Dot drove me downtown. We had a wonderful dinner, and we went to the Heinz Hall to see The Wiz, a Broadway show on a national tour. It was a surprise. I had no idea where we were going. And when the curtain rose and the actors began the performance, it struck me. Oh my God, this, this is what Mr. Schmidt was talking about. This is a musical. I remember thinking this coincidence was like magic, but the true magic was just beginning. I could not have been more mesmerized by the show. Of course I knew The Wizard of Oz. I was well acquainted with the plot line, but this version galvanized me. It was an African-American reimagining of the story with all black people and an R&B score written by the late Charlie Smalls with the book written by William F. Brown. I don't think I drew a deep breath for the entire two and a half hours. So he he's inspired by The Wiz and that kind of gets the, you know, he was already into singing and dancing and stuff like that, but musical theater and stuff like that, this kind of lit a fire under him. So later on, he's like getting involved. Uh, you kind of heard in the the other sections about how he was like working 70 hours a week as a kid like he was really hustling like going to school um doing plays like rehearsals um uh it, just a lot very very booked and busy for a young kid but that was his dream so um a, the final thing i'm going to share here is just about how some people really looked out for him as he was th this poor kid from the ghetto and he was trying to um, live his dreams. So, quote, uh, her mother, and he's referring to one of his uh, theater mates, her mother, Judy No, uh, overheard this. She was the founder and artistic director of the Center for Theater Arts. She offered me a full scholarship on the spot, and I gratefully accepted without having the least idea of how to make it work. Mount Lebanon was a very lily-white and wealthy suburb of Pittsburgh, it could take up to two hours to get there from Kappa by bus. Could I get to class on time? Would my mother let me come home that late? I didn't know how I'd manage it, but it was free 99, so I would find a way. But the white folks were concerned about me traveling on public transportation by myself that late at night. So the angels came together and hatched a plan. Billy Hartung was one of the other boys in my class, and we became instant friends. It was Billy Hartung's parents who volunteered to drive me home every Tuesday, even though it meant going all the way to the other side of town and back again. We would pile into the family pickup truck after class. On the way to the highway, we would stop at Wendy's, where I'd pick up a single hamburger, french fries, and my favorite, a Frosty. They drove me home every single week for two straight years. The care they showed this little black ghetto-bound boy is something I will never forget, and I am forever grateful, end quote. So hopefully that episode, um, this episode here kind of culminates with you getting kind of a couple of snapshots of how this memoir is unfolding. Um, so the next episode, I will kind of follow the same 
uh, pattern of, you know, focusing on environments and the different forms of hate, such as racism, homophobia, ableism, that kind of stuff. And then uh, commenting on like mental health aspects or trauma and uh, obviously therapy. And then giving, you know, signing off with a little bit of the hopeful. So we kind of heard of some of the, you know, the bullying, the the molestation and that kind of stuff. But we were able to kind of culminate this episode with, you know, there were people looking out for him. There were um, inspirations and, um, you know, like he said, he had a lot of angels in his life that were um, supporting him along the way. So, um I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and I I look forward to having you back uh, next week for episode two. Um, But until then... uh... If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today.